my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy ramp.com slash easy ramp.com slash easy Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Mark Moss show where we're talking about the world changing as a world of decentralization and deglobalization is upon us and we got a lot to cover. I try to bring you some education and some of the latest breaking news headlines so you can see the signs the play by play of how this world is breaking down. And so we're going to talk about what is going on in the economy? Everyone's screaming for recession while the markets are high. We're going to talk about some of these signs that we have there. We're going to talk about this new bill that just got passed in Bitcoin that has massive implications. This is just breaking news. We're going to talk about what the heck is going on with commodities, specifically with oil. What is going on with um, China? Man, we have a lot to cover. We're going to talk about what's going on with uh in, in the U.S. with some big, big, big domestic news. Anyway, got a lot to cover. You don't want to miss this. If you do miss any of it, don't worry. We got you covered. You can check it out on the podcast. Just search The Mark Moss Show on your favorite podcast player or go watch me on YouTube. Uh, just search Market Disruptors and you can watch me and listen to me over there. But just jumping right in, like I said, we had some big news in the Bitcoin space this week, um, which is the technology, the decentralized technology that's really starting to drive massive change around the world. And one of the big changes that just happened is something called um, FASB, Financial Accounting Standards 
board. All right, it's a big deal. Bloomberg reported on this, um, Bloomberg Tax specifically, uh, about these, these financial accounting standards. And so basically, uh, as a company, as a corporation, you have to follow what's called GAAP, General um, Accepted Accounting Principles or whatever. And so you have to file this. You have to keep your books in a certain order. You have to file your reports in a certain order, especially if you're publicly traded companies. So there's all types of regulations, especially, especially in the banking sector, but all types of regulations that talk about how you can hold assets, how you can classify them, how you can value them, how you report them, and all these different types of things. And the way that you're able to handle and manage assets very greatly. And they change the incentives for you to want to have those types of assets. So for example, um, if I can hold a certain type of asset that gives me a lot of, lot of leverage, I might want to hold that for reasons besides just holding it. But also I might want to hold an asset, but that um, the incentives work against me and I don't want to. So let, let me break this down for you. So for Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, for example, um, the new rules under this new um, Financial Accounting Standards Board, the new rules would allow a better reflection of the actual market value of the digital assets, as well as bring greater transparency to the financial reporting of companies that hold them. Now, these changes aren't in effect yet. Uh, it's just getting published. They expect to be published by the end of this year and then go into effect as soon as 2025. Uh, but it looks like companies will be able to start applying them earlier than that. And so basically, um, the old treatment before this is that like Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies is an intangible asset, which means that if the price went lower than what the companies bought it for, then they'd have to take an impairment charge on their books, even if they didn't sell. And so um, we talked about this a couple weeks ago with uh, SpaceX had to mark down the Bitcoin that they had on their books. So in the old treatment, if the prices went down, they had to take this impairment charge, they had the negative, but they didn't get the positive. If the, if the price went up, they couldn't receive any benefit on their books unless they sold it, all right? So this means, so if you're a business, if you're a corporation, if you're reporting these numbers, then you want to know what your balance sheet has. So that means what are the assets on the books? So typically, if I'm looking at a publicly traded company, I want to look at like, what is this company's liquidation value? If I bought this company and liquidated it, uh, how much inventory do they have? How much uh, money in the bank do they have? How much, how much is the total value of all their assets? So let's say that the total value of all their assets is 100 million, but I can buy them, I can buy the stock for 50 million. That's a pretty good deal. The problem is, is that under these old accounting rules, you can't use Bitcoin or crypto assets fair market value. So you bought Bitcoin at a dollar and now it's worth 30,000. You went, you know, you had $100,000 worth of Bitcoin. Now you got $100 million worth of Bitcoin. You can't put the 100 million on there. And so because of that, a lot of these big corporations don't want to add it because they only get the negative, this impairment charge, they have to mark it down, showing that they're in a loss, which is what happened to SpaceX. And, but they can't show the upside. So like I said, when Bitcoin price plunk, uh, surges, goes up, the companies aren't able to reflect that. So this is a really, really big deal. This could make uh, companies, I think it will make companies way more likely to add Bitcoin to their balance sheet and to become long-term holders because now they can report the appreciation without having to sell anything. So they can take little bets today with these uh, Bitcoin or crypto assets expecting a big return. And then in the future, they could report earnings based off of the new balance, the new asset prices, 
which could make them look like geniuses, which could bolster their balance sheet, which could, uh, you know, ultimately, if they're a publicly traded company, affect their stock price. Now, Michael Saylor, the CEO of, uh, well, now he stepped down, um, of uh, MicroStrategy, I think he's still the chairman of MicroStrategy. Um, he's one of the biggest Bitcoin holders in the world, one of the most uh, publicly outspoken Bitcoin advocates in the world. And he believes this is massive news. He's been um, trying to get this to go through for a long time, so it's a big deal. Uh, some other things I saw in the Bitcoin space this week and the crypto space this week was uh, really, really interesting. And I don't want to say crypto space, it was specifically in the Bitcoin space. And it's because of the Bitcoin mining. So most of the other cryptocurrencies have all moved over to something called proof of stake where they don't use mining. And you've been seeing over the last couple of years how Bitcoin mining specifically is this uh, detriment to society, how it's going to ruin the environment, how Bitcoin is going to use more energy than uh, a small country, going to use all the energy in the world and how big of a deal that is, how bad that is. But what we're actually seeing, and I've been reporting for, uh, for years now, and we're already starting to see the shift in the media's narrative around this, we're starting to see that actually Bitcoin isn't bad for the environment. As a matter of fact, it could just be the savior. So what do I mean by that? Well, over the last several years, you've seen specifically, I've been watching in Texas, how there's massive problems with the energy system in Texas. Um, they had uh, the power go out in the winter and during a big freeze, and it was a big problem. They had to go out in the summer when it was too hot, and it was a big problem. Uh, last summer happened again, and this summer, it's just happening again. And what happens is, during certain times and periods, you need more energy than others. Pretty simple. Right. So during the day when everyone's at work, energy use is less <laughs> at night when everybody comes home and has to turn their lights on because it's dark. Energy surges go up uh, when it's hotter. Everyone turns the air conditioning on higher. Right. So you can see that it's higher uh, use, usage changes. But the problem is, is that if I provide energy, I can't just turn it up and down like that. It's not just like a knob that I can control. And so what they've been doing is they've been creating more base load so they can produce more energy all the time, but then diverting some of that load over to Bitcoin mining. And whenever they need that excess demand, they just shut down the Bitcoin mining and put the excess demand over there. When it's not needed, they push it back to Bitcoin mining. And we just saw that Texas was teetering on the edge of blackouts again um, as they've been having this heat wave and as the demand was squeezing on the grid. And so Texas nearly had to start rolling out blackouts, but they didn't have to because uh, at 9 p.m. local time, they called up the Bitcoin mining companies and said, hey, could you turn off your equipment for us, please? And they did. And all that excess demand was able to go right back to the grid. I mean, if this isn't a wonderful fairy tale story, then I don't know what is. Because there is no other solution for this problem without Bitcoin. Now, we see the same thing happening in Iceland. Iceland's able to create more energy than it needs, but most of it's going to waste. They have all this excess energy because when they need to create it for when it surges up, but when it doesn't surge up, what do they do with it? No one in Iceland wants to buy this non-guaranteed power. Factories don't want it. Nobody wants it. Households don't want it. No, no one can use it. That's because most power consumers only need it when they're online, when they're home. But you know who doesn't? Bitcoin. So Bitcoin miners can jump in and grab that excess energy, that, that wasted energy, and use it. And so we're starting to see this change the entire world. The, the, the media narrative changes, changing the world. We saw it in Texas happen. They saved the day. It's happening in Iceland, and it's coming to an area near you. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. 
run through some of the latest breaking news headlines this week so you can stay up to date on how this world is changing as we look at it through the lens of politics, finance, and technology. I want to come back and I want to talk about what's going on in the U.S. economy, what's happening in the global commodities, uh, and a whole lot more. You don't want to miss it. I'll be right back in a minute. Don't go away. I'll be right back. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. All right, welcome back. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. We're running through some of the latest breaking news headlines this week so you can know what the heck is going on as the world is going through deglobalization, or as I call it, decentralization. And of course, we can see this everywhere. I've been talking about for a long time, and, and I will continue to talk about it a long time, is the rise of this... Well, it's deglobalization. It's the rise of the challengers to the U.S. homogeny, um, the U.S. dollar standard, the U.S. international order, whatever you want to call it. And of course, we see it with Russia and China challenging the U.S. order. Uh, they've been de-dollarizing de for over a decade now, but now we have the rise of the BRICS. And there's some very, very interesting things if you know where to kind of look between the weeds and see what the heck is going on. And really, when you look at things... If you, if you really understand things um, at their first principles level, at their base level, from a, from a philosophical level, you know that energy is the most important thing in the world. Without energy, nothing happens. Life doesn't happen. Plants don't grow. Animals don't grow. We don't live. 
So everything comes down to energy. And, and the, the, the law of energy states that energy cannot be created. It can only be transferred. So energy from the ground transfers to a plant. When the cow eats that plant, the energy is transferred to the cow. When I eat the cow, that energy is transferred to me. And when I do, when I think and type on the computer, that energy is transferred. Right? So we transfer. We're always transferring. Oil has been the base of that. And you can look back through history and see that the, the, the nations that have the oil have been the ones that have been the most prosperous and have been able to control kind of the world. And that's why the U.S. dollar has maintained its uh, global homogeny because of the petrodollar. The agreement that was found started with uh, Saudi Arabia in 1974 to always price dollars in oil. But all of that's being threatened now because of the BRICS nations. And so Russia, part of the BRICS, the R in the BRICS, Saudi Arabia, who's now a new entrance into the BRICS, <clears throat> are now, you know, some of the largest oil producers in the world. And they're deciding that they don't want to keep pumping out their scarce resources out into the world in exchange for U.S. dollar treasuries that are just losing value. And so they've been deciding to reduce the amount of oil they're producing. As a matter of fact, Saudi Arabia has extended its voluntary cut of 1 million barrels per day until the end of the year. Now, a lot of this pushed oil prices up, which then in turn pushed all energy prices up, which then in turn pushed every single price up. Now, the Biden administration tried to counteract it, and not, not tried to, they did. Um, they were able to counteract that by dumping our strategic petroleum reserves. So they drained them. As a matter of fact, the, the petroleum reserves are now at the lowest levels they've been in 40 years following last year's record drawdowns. At the same time, U.S. production of oil is at an all-time high. As a matter of fact, U.S. produced 12.8 million barrels per day of crude oil in June, matching its production from pre-pandemic back to February of 2020. But even with the U.S.'s increased production and the draining of the SPR, we're seeing that the oil prices are going back up. They're up to a new one-year high this week, and it looks like it's going to continue moving higher. Now, like I said, in the past, the U.S. has been dumping the SPR, petroleum reserve, into the market to bring, you know, dump more supply to bring the price down. But the problem is, like I said, that it's running low. As a matter of fact, at the lowest since 1983. So, what are they going to do? We're already maxing out the amount of oil we can produce. Uh, we've already dumped pretty much everything that we can into the market. Um, but the problem is, is that no matter how much we dump into the market, which we run out of, no matter how much we produce, Russia, Saudi Arabia, Iran, they just turn theirs down. You see, they can play this game for a lot longer than we can. And so we're not really able to control the price of energy. And it's a problem. And it's a problem because, as I said, when the price of energy goes up, everything goes up. You know that food that you went and eat at Chipotle or you went and picked up at your grocery store? It had to be driven there. And it probably had to be shipped on a plane or a boat to get there. And it probably had to be dug out of the ground with a tractor. And all of those things require energy. And so when the price of energy goes up, everything goes up and, and energy is going up. Now, again, the, the strategic petroleum reserves are not just dwindled down to their lowest level, but they're dangerously low. And so now we're in a situation where the U.S. is actually now trying to refill them and buy more oil. As a matter of fact, the Department of Energy, the DOE, purchased 3 million barrels of crude oil for the SPR for delivery in August. The average price per barrel was $73 
which is lower than the average price of $95 per barrel that the oil was sold for last year. So they did okay. They sold it for about 95 bucks. They bought it back for in the 70s. Not a bad trade. They are purchasing this from Exxon, Chevron, Marathon, Valero. Not bad. I don't know if that's a good strategy. I don't think the Biden administration should be trying to trade the oil that we have. Uh, but so far, it's, it, it worked. Now, they had originally said they were going to buy oil when it was in the $70 range. Um, they sort of missed that. But they are buying three. They did buy three million barrels of oil. But here's the problem. You see, in order to get prices to come down, they were selling it to increase the supply. But the problem is Saudi Arabia and Russia says, well, then we'll just turn down our supply. We'll counteract that. So now we're in a period where they're turning down their supply. And now the SPR has to be refilled. So what happens with that? Well, uh, if you want to know what I think, I think it means more inflation ahead. I think oil continues to go up. I think that um, inflation continues to go up. And this is a big problem. Now, as I always say, nothing goes up or down in a straight line. Now, a lot of the headlines that you saw basically illustrated that. They just didn't understand what they were saying. So, for example, you saw headlines over the last month or two. Oil's crashing. You know, last several months, six, eight months. Oil's crashing. As a matter of fact, it's the reason why inflation has come back down to where it is. I've broken this down many times. If you look at the CPI basket, the Consumer Price in, um, Index, you can see that it's broken down by food and shelter and energy and things like that. And you can see that it was just energy that was coming down. Nothing else was really coming down. It was just energy. And the reason why is because... When the Russia-Ukraine war kicked off and the sanctions were placed on Russia, the whole world thought we were going to go into this massive supply problem where all that Russian energy would come off the market. And so the prices shot up in advance of that. And we went from about $80, $80 $90 a barrel up to about $150. But then pretty soon, very quickly, the world sort of realized, well, none of these sanctions that the U.S. or the G7 placed on them or NATO placed on them worked. Um, Caps on Russian oil didn't work. Um, the Russian oil is still going to market. And so the prices just came back down to where they were before all this happened. So all these headlines that you saw where it's plunging, it's crashing. No, it was just returning back to where it was before it had artificially spiked based off of an assumption that never came to be true. So now we're back into normal territory. So, um, and now it's going back up. Now, in addition to this, again, you always have to just think about supply and demand. It's actually pretty simple. Now, it's not simple to understand all the dynamics that make up supply and demand, but I saw this week uh, more headlines that the United States decided to close more oil and gas permits to drill for oil and gas that were given under the Trump administration. So Trump opened it up so we could increase the supply. And again, the Biden administration is shutting them down. So if we continue to shut down the um, supply side, the rest of the world cuts down the supply side, uh, and the U.S. has to be a buyer to fill up the SPRs. And turns out you and I still need energy to live. Turns out we still need to ship food around the world. Turns out. So what happens? And that's the price going up. You got that. <laughs> yeah, good thing you figured that out. All right, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. I'm breaking down the latest news headlines of this week. I got a lot more to cover, but I got to take a quick break. I'll be right back. Don't go away. Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. 
They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. All right, welcome back. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. We're talking through some of the latest breaking news headlines this week so you can understand what is going on in the world through the lens of politics, finance, and technology. And I want to dig into the economy for a little bit here. It's a, it's a sort of a tale of two markets, if you will, right? Where we see that there's all these signs that the economy is not doing good um, and we're headed for a recession, but then we see all these other signs that it looks like the economy is really good. Um, we see signs, well, when you see the economy not doing good and potentially going to recession, then why is the markets doing so good, the equities, the stocks, but then the bond markets are looking bad. So we're seeing this like a bipolar uh, viewpoint in both the economy and the markets. And I, and, and I say that in two separate things, right? The economy and the markets, we're breaking these apart. And, and it's important to understand this piece because you have to realize that the economy is not the market. Now it should be, it used to be, because if an economy is doing good, meaning, you know, people have money, people are buying and um, um, you know, everyone, everyone's happy, everyone's spending money, then I'm spending money at stores, buying goods and services, which means then those businesses do better in their annual reporting. They post higher revenues, higher profits, and then it pushes the stock prices up. That's how it's supposed to work. But we became detached from reality over the last decade or so when we kind of went into this era of free money where the stocks that do the best are the ones that don't even make any money, which is kind of weird. But really where the disconnect happened was in 2020. And during the pandemic, we saw like literally the entire economy shut down. Like literally businesses that have been around for decades were forced to close. Stores were fo- forced to close. And so the economy just completely cratered. But the markets took off to new all-time highs. And so now we see this as two separate things. And it's important, at least for me, to think about these things separately because the, the markets do not equal the economy. So the economy could crash again, but it doesn't necessarily mean the markets will. They could, doesn't mean they have to. So if we look at the economy, like I said, there's, there's a lot of bipolar signs that we're looking at. So for example, um, the economy seems great. We have some of the lowest, infl- uh, lowest unemployment that we've seen in decades. That's great. 
Uh, we are seeing that, uh, you know, stores, retailers, companies are still reporting record earnings, record revenues, record earnings. Um, consumers are buying. Sentiment is great. So that looks good. But if you dig under the hood a little bit, which is what you should be doing, we can also see that um, while, yeah, while people, while consumers are buying, we can see that their savings are getting depleted at a very rapid rate. We look at the money supply. We can see that their credit card debt, consumer debt is skyrocketing through the roof. And so it looks like savings have been depleted and all of this spending that looks like the economy is good is happening off of debt. And the problem is, is that debt runs out. And it's not just that debt runs out. It's that debt runs out and it also has to be repaid and it has to be repaid from future earnings. And so what this does is it really impairs the future. Now, if that's not bad enough, what we can see is that it's already starting to get to a very dangerous point. As a matter of fact, we saw this week um, headlines came out that delinquencies for credit card payments and auto loans are skyrocketing. As a matter of fact, the default rate for credit card payments and consumer loans are at their highest levels in a decade. We can see that more and more consumers are missing payments on their household debt, and it gets even worse. For the first time ever, according to the Washington Post, Americans are on the hook for more than $1 trillion in credit card debt. And the delinquency rate is almost 4%, according to Moody's. Now, you have uh, good debt and bad debt. Uh, let me table that. I'm going to come back to that. We have 5.4% uh, of consumer loans and 3.6% of auto loans are also late. Now, that's credit cards, consumer loans, and auto loans. Now, auto loans, at least there's an asset there. So you got the car. The problem is the car is going down faster than you're paying the debt down. But your credit card debt and most consumer loans are for stuff that you don't have anymore. There's no, there's no, there's no asset there. Now, to add uh, insult to injury, so to speak, the average credit card interest rate is roughly 21%. Now, that, that's a massive rate. If you put that into sort, sort of some re frame of reference, it's like doubling every three or four years at that rate. So every three and a half years, your debt doubles. How are you going to pay that back? Now, it's important to understand that there's two types of debt. There's good debt and there's bad debt. There's productive debt and there's destructive debt. Consumer debt, uh, consumer loans, credit cards, that's destructive. You spent the money on a vacation. You spent the money going out to eat. There's nothing behind that debt. You just have the debt. You're paying 21% interest, and that means the debt is doubling every three and a half years. And it's not just those. We see that Americans are so strapped for cash that they're resorting to now these uh, buy now, pay later options, BNPL. You might have heard about this before. It's when you go shopping you know, on your favorite e-commerce website, and then at checkout, you have this option to buy now, pay later. These programs have gotten all the rage. They've been growing really fast. And they work well, I suppose, right, for larger purchases that you can't afford, like a, you know, like a TV or, or furniture, things like that. Uh, but I see them for all types of things. I see them for low-ticket items that you should be able to just pay outright. Why would you defer the payments on that? As a matter of fact, LendingTree found that 21% of respondents say that they're using these buy now, pay later loans just to buy groceries. You see, when you're using your credit cards, when you're using these buy now, pay later programs just to buy food, 
Unfortunately, that's a bad sign for the economy. And like I said, uh, there's good debt and bad debt. When you're buying it for food, that's bad debt. Now, for the past decade, consumer spendings increased each holiday season, and researchers are expecting more growth ahead. Will we see it? We don't know. Uh, but we do know that it's getting more and more expensive to live off credit cards. We can see that savings rates are going down. Um, we can see, so we see these all over. So what gives? What's the tail of the market? Well, we also know that right now, historically, unemployment rate is still very low. It's gone from 3.5% up to 3.8%. It's still under 4%, which is historically low, but it is the highest level that we've seen in uh, about a year and a half. All right. Now, we also know that unemployment is a what we call a lagging indicator. So it doesn't really tell us what's about to happen. It typically tells us what already happened. And the reason why is because most employers or business owners don't want to lay people off. It's hard to find good people. So you try to make every cut that you can. You probably go without your own pay for a while before you let people go. So it's like the last ditch resort. And so that's why it's a lagging indicator. But we also did see, which I thought was pretty interesting, the labor force participation rate actually went up. It's at 62.8%. It's the highest level since the pandemic uh, began in February of 2020. And so you have unemployment only measures the people that are looking for work. So it's, just, it's a real gimmicky, uh, you know, it's a way that the government can lie about the data, basically. So unemployment tells you the, uh, the how many people don't have jobs who want jobs. The labor force participation rate is a better number because it tells you of the working age population, how many of them are working. And so it rose to 62 point, almost 63%. But that means that 32% uh, are not working. Able-bodied of the correct age decide they don't want to work. And so while that's getting better, it's still pretty low. But this is where we're at. This is the tale of two markets. Uh, right now, Everything looks great. Companies are reporting better earnings, better revenues. Um, the markets are strong. Unemployment's good. But what we can see is that it's coming off of the back of uh, savings being drained down. And it's coming off of the back of credit card debt. That's not good. Now, if you're tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show, i got to take a very quick break, but I'm going to come back with more in a second. You don't want to miss it, so don't go away. I'll be right back. Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. 
I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest. Love the connection to people. I think at the core, what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning is connecting with people in an unscripted, unvarnished way. It's getting to to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine. And I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. All right, welcome back. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show, and we're running through some of the latest breaking news headlines that we saw this week that are literally showing us the play-by-play of how the world is breaking apart, the decentralization, the deglobalization, whatever you want to call it. And I like to look at it through the lens of politics, finance, and technology so you can really bring things into context of what's going on. You know, we talked about in an earlier segment, I was talking about the law of unintended consequences. And really to understand unintended consequences, you kind of have to think through first, second, third, fourth, fifth order effects. Because most people only think about first order effects. So for example, we have poor people. Uh, we should give poor people uh, free money. Well, that sounds nice. Let's help them out. But what happens if we do? Well, then they don't go work and they become dependent on the system and then they game, right? And then, and then what happens? And then what happens? And so you have to kind of ask that question. And one of the things that we see today is uh, it's, I want to say it's comical, but it's not. We shouldn't be laughing. Uh, but it's sort of like one of those things where like, I told you so. And like, now you got to like, you made your bed. Now you got to sleep in it, so to speak. And what am I talking about specifically? Well, you know, these are these are difficult questions and, and topics to t- talk about. But I think about the immigration problem that we have in the United States. And when I say immigration problem, that, that there's a lot to unpack there. Now, one of the greatest problems that the U.S. and every developed nation has right now is um, depopulation. Uh, and not because of uh, Bill Gates or something like that. I'm talking about just we have old people and we're not having enough young people. Right. That's a problem. Uh, China's got a real big problem. They had 30 years of a one child policy. So the United States needs migration. We need people coming from other countries if we're going to survive. We're just not, people, Americans just aren't have enough kids. As a matter of fact, we saw um, we're trying to onshore a lot of new manufacturing. And in, in uh, Arizona, they're trying to build these new TSMC chip manufacturing plants that are you know from Taiwan, but they can't get enough good workers. We just don't have smart people. Everybody wants to be a YouTuber. And so we don't have these people to work at these plants. So we need migrants. We need immigration. But we need uh, good ed- we need good immigrants, right? We need people who are educated and trained to come in, and so we do. Uh, the United States is obviously built off immigrants. Uh, we have the you know we have more immigrants in the United States than any other nation in the world. But then we have illegal immigrants, and these are ones who come in illegally. They cut the line. They don't go through the proper pro- proper uh, channels and pro- process. And this is a big sticking point. Now, I could be all for having open borders and just let everybody come in if we weren't in a welfare state. But the problem is that we are. 
And so we don't just let them come in, but we provide them with all the money they need and driver's license and voting and, and social security that everyone else has paid into. They did and all these different things. And that causes a massive problem. Now you've been hearing about the open border that we have on the South. Trump obviously was trying to close that border. And even though he never actually got it finished, his aggressive stance to the border actually did a lot to deter people from coming. As a matter of fact, during his uh, presidency, a lot of people at the time that had been interviewed had said, uh, why would we even bother going there? We're just going to be kicked out. There's nothing there for us when we get there. And so that, uh, that, that worked to deter people. But what we see now with the border policy is like an open invitation for everybody to come in. And of course, this is led by the Democrats and the Biden administration with this policy. And while the people that are affected by this, specifically on the border, Arizona, Texas, et cetera, have been panicking over this, we've seen millions of people coming over across the border. Um, some, some people have decided to take steps into their own hands and start to move these illegal immigrants into other areas, uh, one of which is specifically um, in New York City. Now, it was sort of a little bit of irony this week when we saw the uh, mayor of New York, Mayor Eric Adams, hold a press conference um, talking about this exact problem um, to his, I have a video clip here, I was going to play it here, where'd it go? But basically, Eric Adams was, was uh, talking and he said, quote, that this issue will destroy New York City. He said that they're getting 10,000 migrants per month and there's no stopping it. There's no end in sight, which I thought was pretty interesting that he would say that. Uh, here we go. Here's the clip. Let me give it a play. Let me give it a play here. No support. And let me tell you something, New Yorkers. Never in my life have I had a problem that I did not see an ending to. I don't see an ending to this. Never in his life has he had a problem that he didn't see an ending to. Oh, you mean like closing the border? <laughs> I mean, come on. You can't see an ending to it? How about not giving them all the free stuff so they stop coming? Uh, there might be something there. Let's, let's hear a little bit more. I don't see an ending to this. This issue will destroy New York City. Destroy New York City. We're getting 10,000 migrants a month. One time we were just in Venezuela. Now we're in Ecuador. Now we're in Russia speaking, coming through Mexico. Now we're in uh, Western Africa. Now we're in people from all over the globe have made their minds up that they're going to come through the southern part of the border and come into New York City. Hmm. So let's break that down a second. So uh, we just had people from South America, like Venezuela, but now we have... Russians, Ukrainians. Now we have people from West Africa coming. And what do you say? Through the southern border, because they've made up their mind they want to come to America. So just unpack that. So they're coming through the southern border. Okay, so he can't see a way out. Well, we could close the southern border. Now, why are all these people from all over the world deciding they want to come here? Well, because of the things they get when they come here. So you change the incentive system. <laughs> You uh, put a couple checks and gateways in, and you solve that problem. Just uh, about a month ago, or it was actually July, so a couple months ago, I flew out to Spain to give a give a talk at a at a mastermind event there. And when I was flying back, I was flying from Madrid to uh, I back to Los Angeles, and I had to go through El Salvador. And 
on my plane were, I don't know, 20 or 30 uh, African people getting on the plane. And they were all like dressed pretty nice. And they were all, you know, all getting on at the same time. And I've been to El Salvador many times. Uh, Most I go there for surfing. Um, There's not a lot in El Salvador. It's certainly not a big tourist destination for most people. And it's certainly not a place where 20 or 30, um, 20 year old African males dressed nicely would go. So I start thinking about this and I tried to talk to a couple of them. Most of them didn't speak any English. And as it turns out, most of them were flying into El Salvador because it's a place they could go to from Madrid. And from El Salvador, they would start to make their way up into the United States. Now, who paid for these people, you know, dress nice and who paid for their plane tickets to get them there? I don't know. That's a different story. Uh, But it certainly seemed pretty organized to me. Uh, But this is what happens when you have this. So per Eric Adams' statement, I don't see an end in sight. Pretty interesting. Now, let's break down some numbers. We see in the fiscal year 2022, Border Patrol agents apprehended a record-breaking 2.3 million immigrants at the southern border. Now, this is apprehended. Okay, this number includes people they got. It doesn't include the people that they didn't, which is the majority of people. We don't have a firm number on that. We can see that the number of undocumented immigrants crossings at the southwest border for the year 2022 topped almost three million people in one year, which broke the previous annual record by more than one million people. So this is a big it's a big problem. It's a big epidemic. It's a big conversation. Um and it's one that doesn't have an easy answer. Uh, but again, as I said, the irony of making your bed, now you have to lay in it. The Democratic parties that want this to happen, and here Eric Adams is having to deal with this, and he can't see an end in sight, but when it's sitting right in front of your face. And this goes back to what we talked about in the very first episode, which is the law of unintended consequences. You have to be able to think through first, second, third, fourth, fifth order effects. And this affects all of us, right? We have people all in this, uh, in this world, in this country, who don't think through the second, third, fourth, fifth order. They don't think through the consequence of these things. And unfortunately, they're helping vote, which is why it's important for us to continue to talk about these things, continue to spread these brush fires to the minds of men, as Samuel Adams said. Take these conversations, discuss them with your friends, family, coworkers, and we can change the collective shift. Anyway, that's what we got for today. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show, and that's what I got. I'll talk to you next time. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. 
We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.